Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here. I see a lot of familiar faces and some I don't know. So hopefully I'll get a chance to meet you. Uh, this morning, I want to say that I am your Scott Foster. Does anyone recognize the name Scott Foster? You also forgive me, I'm an interactive preacher, so just get ready for a lot of this today. And you're a small group, so it makes it easy for me to pick you out. So, uh, so Scott Foster was, or is, a 36-year-old accountant from Chicago who made headlines a few uh, months ago when he was a rec league goalie, recreational league goalie, was called upon to play for a professional, yeah, we're remembering this, this even made NPR. I know, like, this whole crowd, like, listens to NPR, right? <laughs> right? I mean, come on. Right. Right. And truthfully, I have, to, I have to, like, I listen to sports radio just to get a break because, like, NPR is just so depressing these days. But I'm not going to get political today, but can we get an amen on that? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, Scott Foster was called upon to play the position professionally for the Chicago Blackhawks when the team's first two goalies got hurt, and then actually during the game, the, the third string goalie got hurt, and he was brought up to play when it was a 6-2 game, so he entered in the, the third period, and he stopped all six shots he faced, helping to preserve the victory, and, and oddly enough, if you know anything about hockey, he was actually awarded the, the number one star of the game. <laughs> so, I mean, I kind of felt bad, because I guess the guy he replaced the third string goal, it was also his uh, debut too, his professional debut. So the poor guy who's actually the professional hockey player got completely overshadowed by Scott Foster. But anyway, th this is a fairly, uh, this is a pretty rare occurrence as I understand it. I mean, uh, I guess in the National Hockey League, there is this thing where they'll bring in a rec league goalie or someone like that to just be a, an emergency goalie in case the first two goalies get hurt. But but getting into the game is, is very rare. So you know, here was Scott Foster bringing Broad in. He was a rec league goalie, like I said. He played collegiately, I think, for uh, Western Michigan or something like that. But he got in the game. And despite all the unusual attention, after the game, he was pretty, he was pretty on an even keel. He said, you know, you'd think there'd be a lot of pressure, but really tomorrow I'm going to wake up, I'm going to button my shirt, and I'm going to go back to my day job. So what pressure is there for me? So I say that today, that I am your Scott Foster today. <laughs> I am the emergency relief preacher brought in from the rec league when all the usuals are unavailable. And I was going to joke that I'm like the fourth string, but it sounds like I'm the 18th string, <laughs> right? The 18th string. I mean, I believe that that's how many ordained, I think like all 17 of them were ordained ministers, right? <laughs> I think so. And there's... I mean, how many more are, like, half this, half this congregation is ordained minister, right? I think, I think so. So I'm going to give it my best shot today, hoping I can live up to the legend of Scott Foster. And it is interesting that I am here speaking with you all this weekend on The Voice of Change, which I think there's something there, too. Uh, that's okay. We'll get to that. <laughs> But anyway, for those who don't know me, my name is Lauren Richmond Jr. Uh, my father is Lauren Richmond. He's a pastor also, so I like to add the junior. Uh, interestingly enough, I thought I was technically still a member of this church, but from what I was reading, I may not still be, so I don't know. So, I don't know. But I, 
at some point I was, maybe still am, a member of this church. So, uh, and as Brian mentioned, um, back when I was in seminary, I was a seminary intern for a few, for, for a while, and my family and I were members here, at least in the past. Most recently, I was a pastor of a UCC church uh, in the metro area. And now, I'm excited to say, I'm starting a new Disciples of Christ Church called Mission Gathering Christian Church to be started. We're in the formation phases in Thornton, Colorado. And that got started because about a year ago, I felt something, something stirring within me to do something new. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it would be. I didn't know what it looked like. But I just had this feeling had this prompting that something was happening in me and that God was working in me and I need to trust God on that. And this was, this was different for me because for some time I had been trying to force God into my agenda. I was slogging away in a ministry context trying to bring growth and change through sheer determination. Have you ever been there just trying to bring something through sheer determination, right? And let me tell you, I am not a quitter. At least I don't, I don't think of myself as a quitter. I run, I run for fun. I run marathons. And I, I remember the last marathon I ran. It was about, I think it was last, maybe a year and a half ago. And I trained, and I trained, and I trained, probably overtrained. So that the day of the race, I just was just, my philosophy was, let's just go and just give it your best shot. And honestly, by mile six, I felt like I'd hit the wall. Does anyone... Understand, you hit the wall. Now, who knows how many, mar- how, many, how many miles are in a marathon, right? 26.2. So, mile six hitting the wall, I felt like was not good. <laughs> if you can imagine. And then mile 10, from mile 10 to 26.2, I just, I hurt. Like, from, 20, from 10 to 26.2, I just hurt. So, like, those last 16 miles, it just hurt. It was miserable. Like I said, I'm not one to quit when the going gets tough, but what I didn't realize is that in running, as it is in life, if you keep pushing through pain, you're going to get hurt. So let me me say that again, because I think it's important, not necessarily what I'm talking about today, but it just kind of stuck with me. If you keep pushing through pain, you're going to get hurt. So I say that because I, I got hurt mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But I didn't want to quit because the only thing that was scarier and harder than doing what I was doing was doing something else, a six-letter word we all dread. What's that six-letter word? Change. Thank you, Brian. Gold star. (laughs) Paying attention to the theme of the Sunday, Brian. You know, isn't that so true? We stay in a bad situation even if it's miserable. Even if it's miserable. So many of us would rather stay in a bad thing than change. You know, though the word change contains six-letter words, six letters, in many ways it's a four-letter word. Though I wonder, with our society so accepting of, of expli- expletives, right? Like, the word change isn't even, you know, you say, like, a curse word I'm not going to say a curse word. <laughs> but you say a curse word, it won't necessarily have the same strong effect. You know, if you say some people change, they'd rather you cuss them out than say you have to change, right? And that's where I was. 
I wasn't getting paid a lot of money. The future necessarily wasn't uh, super secure, but it was safe, it was familiar, and it seemed like the less frightening option. Get in there. Interestingly enough, here I was trying to bring change to this church I was working in, but not wanting change in my own life, right? But God has a way of changing us. Don't you hate that? Like, <laughs> ah. And let me say I hesitate to even use that language, right? That God has a way of changing us. I know, I know many of us here, like, can I, y'all are, y'all are the progressive liberal church, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so, <Yeah. amen. laughs> right? So I hesitate to even use that language because I know for many of us, including me, we have uh, very progressive understandings of who God is. And if you're like me, like I, I grew up independent Baptist and now I'm a disciple and I think fairly, I don't know if I'm y'all here, but I think I'm fairly progressive and liberal theologically, and I'm always wrestling with language and how it, how it works with what I believe theologically. So I hesitate to even use that language that God has a way of changing us, but I think however we define God, whether it's the conservative uh, God of conservative Christianity, the all-powerful, almighty God, or whether it's, it's the persuasive uh, present God as in like process theology, I believe that God seeks to bring change in our lives in accordance with God's desires. Let me say that again. I believe that God seeks to bring our lives into accordance with God's desires. So forgive me for getting a little deep here, but I think in short, God seeks to change our lives, and God will do that in ways we don't expect. Like Tundiway, last summer, I was invited to participate in the Excellence in Ministry program. Everyone remember hearing about that, that Tundiway went to? Great program. Thank you so much for letting her participate. Um, we're all better for it. So it's a grant program sponsored by the Pension Fund to support young clergy like myself, like Tundiway. I went because I wanted to learn about finances. And how many of you really know about the program, right? I also went because I wanted to, to get the grant, right? <laughs> Can I be real here? So what I didn't expect, though, that while I was there, I would be changed. But God has a way of doing that. It's annoying. I'm telling you, it's annoying. So as Tony Way probably shared, spouses were required to come to the program, which was important considering the depth of the material we were going into. So here I was with my pregnant wife, I think she was four or five months pregnant at that time, having conversations about personal finances. Now if that wasn't stressful enough, I also was floating the idea of leaving my current church to start a new one. If that wasn't stressful enough, just talking about money. Let me be real and say those were not easy conversations to be had. But when I reflect back, it was, it was the space that I was provided and my wife and I were provided with something that we would not have otherwise been able to have without being there at that time, that moment, in that place. And man, looking back, it just, God, hmm. 
while I was also there. This is where it just gets, hmm, God, what are you doing? While I was also there, I met another young pastor named Brian Carr. He was pastor of a new church plant, Disciples Church plant, going in the Seattle area. So I said, this is what I want to to talk about. So I said, hey, Brian, let me buy you a beer and you can tell me about church planting. This is a liberal church, right? I can say that. I'm going to buy you a beer. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, so he told me he was working with a group called Mission Gathering, which is a church planning and revitalization movement within the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, whose goal is to plant and revitalize Disciples of Christ churches. From that point, I was able to have a conversation and connect with a man named Rich McCullen, who's the calls himself the lead visionary of Mission Gathering Movement Disciples of Christ. And the rest is history. Here I am today, working with the region to start a new Disciples of Christ Christian Church called Mission Gathering Christian Church in the Thornton area. But let me tell you, let me tell you, getting to this point required a process of change that seemed both terrifying and impossible. Can I say that another way? That trusting God, we can make our way through changes that seem both terrifying and impossible. We can make our way through changes that seem both terrifying and impossible, trusting God. Yet here I am today, in the process of starting a new church with the Mission Gathering Movement, who believes that the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, has the right message at the right time, and that Christian churches, new or established, can and should have the most compelling message for today's seekers. Can I get an amen for that? Or, this is right, we're, say again, I grew up Baptist, so it's amen, right? Amen, amen. Hallelujah, amen. You know, but despite having this message, so many of our churches have struggled to share that message. I'm reminded of the verse, the, the, the scripture read this morning, Jeff read this morning. Love one another. It's a new commandment. It's re- repeated from John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus is sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper. And I think this is probably still happening during the Last Supper. And Jesus says, love one another. And he repeats again here in John chapter 15. Love one another. But, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this, and all, in all honesty, I think, I think a lot of mainline churches, like, we're good here. We love us. You know, I'm reminded of the Facebook profile pic. Does anyone remember this? When I was on Valentine's Day, you could upload the frame around your profile picture that said, I love us. How many... Anybody remember that? Nobody, okay. <laughs> this reminds me of my old church when I tried to make like, uh, like modern day references. They just, it's like, right over, right over. Okay. Facebook, at least some people have Facebook. Yes, all right. Okay, good. Okay, so anyway, in Facebook, you can do this thing where you upload a temporary profile pic over your current profile pic, and it frames your profile pic. And in Valentine's Day, it was saying, I love us. You know, I think about it, and I think if, if many mainline churches could upload 
such a profile pic to their Facebook page, they would have that profile framed over their picture. Because mainline churches love us. It's not that they need to love one another. It's that they love one another too much almost. Like we love our buildings. We love our worship. We love our traditions. We love us so much. And you've probably seen it in some churches, right? Like the passing of a piece lasts almost as long as the sermon. <laughs> Have you been there? Like I've, I've been there. I remember like at one church I was at like, uh, you know, the passing piece was happening, and I'm like, hey, let's, you know, as a guest preacher, so I'm like, hey, let's, let's sit down, and then I kind of gave up, and then the guest preacher came up, and she kind of just stood there for a while. Like, you probably know what I'm talking about. And here, I'm, I'm the guest preacher today, so um, I can say something awkward, right? <laughs> I think there are many churches that have essentially become religious-themed social clubs, and I know, I know, right, the verse that probably comes to your mind as it comes to mine, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, Matthew 18, right? But to me, and I wonder, maybe, maybe this is just me, is this all church should be about? And I know, I've, I've, heard, I've heard this. I was, at a, I was at a church training program. Uh, man, one of the presenters said, you know, Church, you know, fellowship is enough. And I wonder, is fellowship really enough? And I think about this because in a couple of weeks we'll be celebrating what? Pentecost. Yes, thank you. Who, who said that? Another gold star. Right? Like, I love Pentecost. You can't see it today because I'm wearing a suit because I love wearing suits. And I'm starting a new church, so I'm going to have to wear, like, Mark Zuckerberg stuff on stage, right? <laughs> I feel like the Mark Zuckerberg pastor, and that's hard for me, because I just want to like wear a suit and be like a Baptist handshake, you know? Um, where was I going with that? Yes, so I, like, I love Pentecost. I have this big, I think it's on this shoulder, actually, a Pentecost tattoo, because I love Pentecost. I love what it represents for the church, like the Spirit of God descending, enlivening us, and filling us, and just, you know, giving us enthusiasm I love Pentecost, and I think about it, when we read about Pentecost in the book of Acts, what were the disciples doing? What were the Christians doing? They're always out, they're always sharing the story of Jesus, and they're adding people to the church constantly. In short, they were making disciples. And I think too many of our churches have gotten away from this. And let me tell you, like, mainline Protestant churches are not alone on this. I listen to uh, podcasts of all different stripes. I listen to one podcast by a Southern Baptist. And one of the things the Southern Baptist leader says is there's tons of churches within the Southern Baptist convention that are struggling to grow because they just don't want to go out and tell, reach people. You know, even um, my parents, my parents are, uh, my father's a Baptist minister who works at an inner city church down in Denver. Uh, it's a very uh, low-income church that meets or ministers to minorities and interestingly enough for those longtime disciples here they they rent the old park hill christian church they wouldn't been here park hill christian church okay it's okay it's over in park hill obviously but a few years ago this back another baptist church came to them that was by the old uh, cu medical center and said you know we want to think about merging because that 
that other Baptist church was down about 10 people of mostly 70-year-olds, 75-year-olds. So they had some discussion about merging. And of course, again, there was different, you know, cultural, let's be real, different cultures here. You know, minority low-income church and a church of older white folks. And, I, and obviously for my parents, it was a, a no-brainer because this other church owned a building. And it would be, for, from my perspective, for this other church, a way to continue on their ministry and their work despite, you know, their, their limitations, their age and size. As things would have it, this other church said, no, we don't want to do it. We'd rather just stay who we are, stay our, our happy little huddle of people. So I say it's not exclusive to mainline churches. And yes, like, I want to be real, like, love is important. Love for others. But when does love for others... When, when does love for us not trump love for... Or when does love for us trump love for others? Yes, community is important. Engagement is important. Connection is important. All these things are important. But I think that these are byproducts of love for others. When we love others, when we make disciples, we experience community, we experience connection, we experience encouragement. Because I believe that we have a great message to share. I mean, really, a great message to share. That in Jesus, God's love is revealed for all people. And that in following the way of Jesus, we find a way of living that leads to a life of meaning and purpose. Don't you believe that, too? That's some really good news. I'm not saying we need to become Bible thumpers. I've been there, thumping a Bible. Like I said, I was Baptist. I'm not saying we need to be out and come in those people who are, it's my way or the highway. But I was thinking about this. Like, if we hire a good contractor to work on our house, like, we tell, hey, I recommend this contractor. If we go to eat somewhere and we like the restaurant, we'll usually tell our friends, hey, you should check out that restaurant. That's a great restaurant. It's what we do. We tell others about something if we like it. Karen Christian Church is a great church. Am I right? Amen. Yeah, right. Good. I was hoping you'd say yes to that. <laughs> We'd be in trouble. You know, in the same way, I love telling people about my church coming, Mission Gathering Christian Church, because it's like a breath of fresh air to them. Like, people want to hear about Karen Christian Church. Let me tell you. People want to hear about this church. Like, I get to tell people, like, hey, we're a church that welcomes and affirms LGBTQ plus people. We're a church that believes that God loves you, no strings attached. And people are like, oh, whoa, that's a, a church like that exists? Like, I'm serious. Like, I have these conversations with people. Like, that's good news that people want to hear. So I'm going I'm, I'm to do this because I think that's what I'm supposed to do. Interestingly enough, that on the weekend that your leaders are away, planning for the future of this church. On a weekend that I've been tasked with giving voice to change, I want to ask you to consider the ways that God might be calling you and your church to change. And again, I'm the 18th string, right? <laughs> so I might be off here, but I sort of wonder... I sort of get the feeling that maybe God is trying to change something here. 
I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, I just wonder. Because of anything, right? If anything, if ever there's a church that's an expert in change, it is this church. It is this church that's an expert in change. Like, I haven't been here, you know, I haven't been here that long. Some of you have been here for years, and you know, you know how you've been an expert in change. Several years ago, you made the decision, a significant, huge decision to move from Boulder to here. A huge decision. A few years ago, you and your, you and your leaders made the decision to remodel, right? This wasn't what it looked like when I was here. <laughs> A few years ago, you made a pretty big decision to change your staffing and hire a new associate to better live into your mission and vision that God was calling you to. I mean, these are huge changes. I mean, if anything, like if anything, maybe God brought me here today for you to teach me how to change. Like seriously. Because I don't know how or where so I don't know how or where God is talking to us about change. I have no idea, but what I do know, and I am confident in this, is that God is always prodding us forward, pushing us to progress. So today I'm going to ask you, as agents of change, to make a commitment with me. Someone who, me, I struggle with change. So make this commitment with me, if you would. That together, we're going to be receptive to the areas that God is seeking change in our lives and in our church. Can you help me with that today? Because as a church planner, about the only consistent thing I will know in my life and in my family's life is that six-letter word that I don't even want to say. <laughs> right? And as we celebrate Pentecost in a few weeks... Let's be receptive to the ways that God is moving in our midst, both personally and corporately. That's a big word. As the body of Christ, can I use some big words here? That God is moving in our midst, trying to do something new, bring some change maybe. So I'm going to ask you to make that commitment with me. And I'm going to ask you whatever prayer looks like in your life. That you pray for me and for Mission Gathering Christian Church as I pray for you here in a Christian church. Because as the Apostle Paul said, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes it grow. The one who plants and the water and the one who water have purpose. They each will be recorded, or excuse me, rewarded. According to their labor. For we are co-workers. We are co-laborers. We are in this together. So let's be receptive to the areas that God is seeking to bring about change in our lives. Amen.